0: Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Guys, I just need to take a second. Because nine times out of ten, I find myself saying afterwards, there's so much more I could have said or so much more I could have done had I just slowed down a little bit. So bear with me as I as I bring it down a notch. God, I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. God, I thank you, Lord, and I honor you, God, for your presence in this place this morning, God. God, I thank you for the revelation, Lord, that you've placed in my heart this morning. God, I ask that you would please let me slow down and take my time, God. That I could give this word exactly as I received it, Lord, to your people, Lord. God, I ask that this morning, God, that you would open up hearts and minds, God. God, to receive this, God, openly. God, I thank you, Lord, and I praise you for the privilege. God, the opportunity, Lord, to... Give what you give to me to the to the family that i 've come to know and love Lord God without you i can 't do this so i'm gonna, i'm definitely going to need your help today so new year 's Eve well actually I guess it would have been new Year 's day we was coming home from mom 's house and i am I am not one to believe in superstition or uh, uh, I guess that's really about the only word that I'm coming by is superstition. Like the first thing that you do after after the New Year's come in is what you'll be doing for the rest of, rest of the year. Things like that. I, I've certainly ever really took a lot of thought into that. Or just superstitious things like uh, uh, the first meal of the New Year you should eat cabbage because that what is it they say that if you eat cabbage the first meal that that you'll you have money, plenty of money or something? Like, I don't know. Again, that's something my family never practiced, and I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't hardly eat cabbage as a kid anyway, so it didn't matter. That's probably why I'm so broke now. I guess I don't know. I Should eat more cabbage on New Year's, but yeah, there you go. Kraut and cabbage, you got to have them both. Can't just have one. But as we was coming home. Um, first song that we turned on on the radio was a a song by Lauren Daigle that's that's called uh, Come Alive, Dry Bones. And in that moment, I felt that that was very... It was really a profound moment because, like I say, I've never took much thought into the... The first things coming into the new year will be what you do for the rest of the year or any other superstitious belief. But God began to deal with me on, on on that and I began to think about it and I began to meditate on it. And last night as I sat and sat and tried to ponder and put things together and uh I guess really draw from my own inspiration. I realized that I couldn't come up with anything. And this has been the only thing that's been on my mind. Is the valley of dry bones that Ezekiel talks about. That he's seen in the spirit. God took him in the spirit into a, a valley of dry bones. Where, uh, where the, the, the floor of the valley was just covered in dead dried up bones. And I said, yeah, as I sat there last night, I said, God, what, what, what can I say? What does it, what does this all mean? How does this all work together? What, what do you need me to say about this or what do I need to take away from this? And as I sat there. I'm just going to read you some of the things that, in my honest opinion, is directly from the mouth of God. I've seen a valley of dry bones, dead bones, where things once thrived. And God spoke to me and said, These bones that you walk among are the bones of those that society has as well as the church has neglected and forgot about. The bones you walk among are the bones of those that religion and religious mindsets have murdered. The remains of those abused and left for dead. This valley represents the depression of the community around you. The, dry, the dryness, the lack of vitality. Ezekiel 37 and 8 talks about the, the bones being lifted up and put in place, but no life being in them. And things will have, basically what that took away from me is that things would have to be restored before the life could be breathed back into them. Faith in the church, my church, will have to be restored before I can breathe life into the dead, dried up vessels those suffering on life support. Faith in the church has been lost in, in the church because of the misrepresentations outside of the building. People outside of my love only see the chaos and hatred that, has, that those outside of my love but dedicated to a title and a building have cast on them or toward them. I am love and you are called to be love. In the face of evil, be love. In the face of ridicule, be love. In the face of mistreatment, be love. To those who have been neglected, the least of these, you have misrepresented me and neglected your call to love. While you were filthy and unworthy, undeserving, and lived as a leper, I gave you worth and seen beyond your now, and gave you undying, unconditional love to pass on to others. As for the state of your community, I blame a church that misrepresents me in the presence of man. Faith in the church has been lost in the church because of the misrepresentation outside of the building. The misrepresentation of God outside the four walls of this building has caused everybody in our community, everybody in our daily life, everybody in our homes, in our families to lose faith in a church. And I don't just mean the building, the church, I mean the people, the church, us, the church. By our actions, by our misconducts, uh, by our misrepresentations, poorly representing Christ everywhere that we go. This is rough and this is hard for me to even say. I promise you, I, I, don't, I don't take any joy or any pleasure having to say the things that I have to say. But if, if I take away anything or add anything to it, I've done a, I've done a disservice to the Father and what He's gave to me. Poorly misrepresenting love and poorly misrepresenting God in front of people. Showing, or as they say, true colors in front of people. As you've passed through a valley of death and desolation and dry bones, you choose to ignore the lack of vitality. Step over the piles of bones in the namesake of having your own tribulations. We are also caught up in ourselves and in our own problems, in our own trials and tribulations, quote unquote, that we look right over top of a valley of dry bones. A valley of death and desolation and dead things. And and once where things thrive, they're dead now. People who were once were once full of vitality full of vigor full of spirit are now dead and dying and we look over top of them because we have our own lives to worry about. The first step in restoring men's faith in the church in us is shutting our mouth. Keeping your mouth closed. And this was Most definitely God. Because I completely and utterly did not want to say what I am about to say. Let the righteous say so is not permission to just freely speak and throw your opinion around. Let the righteous say so is not permission to to say whatever comes to your mind. James says to be slow to speak. Be quick to hear. Be slow to anger. Shut your mouth and think about what you're saying before you say it. Because you're saying it in front of lost people. You're saying it in front of of, uh, dead and dying people. Keep your mouth closed. Think about what you're saying before you say it. Because you're hurting somebody. You're killing somebody. You're murdering somebody. Choose your battles and know. And know better in the arena in which you fight them. This isn't to say that you're not allowed an opinion. But Matthew says if you have a disagreement with your brother. Or your brother sins against you to go to him in private. I've seen this with my own two eyes. Because like everybody else. I work with the public. And I work with. I I work with. Let me completely rephrase that. I work with people and people have their opinions and people have their their thoughts and their thought processes and we have to be careful. Because Because of the very fact, whatever it is that we say, we are also saying in front of people who don't belong to church, people who don't belong to love, people who don't belong to righteousness, people who are not called, they are called to love, but they're living outside of their calling. You're doing everything that you do in front of somebody who doesn't, who either knew God or doesn't know God the way that you claim to know Him. I have sat and watched people argue, well, this is an argument I watched go down in front of God and everybody in a, in a room full of lost people. Between two people who claim to love God and live for God and do everything that they can for God. On one side of the room it was... Honey, I believe that... And that's what they said. Honey, I believe that you should be in church every time that the doors are open. And on the other side of the room, well, I've got a family and I've got a full-time job and, I, and sometimes I'm just tired. So I make it the very best that I can. And they said and argued... Back and forth in front of each other, and in front of lost people, and in front of dying people—people people who used to know God, people who don't know God—and they said, "Oh, well, honey, uh, preacher so and so says that you need to be in grace the doors of the the church every time that they're open." Well, honey, my life is too too complicated and too full. I can only make it when I can make it. What did they? What did either party prove by by sitting and arguing in front of people who didn't know God? All that they done was further. Further pushed people to believe that the church is full of nothing but chaos. That the church is full of nothing but hatred for each other. When they should have been promoting love. They should have just said you know what. I agree to disagree. You believe that you should be there every time. And I believe that I, I don't have to be there every time. If I'm tired. If my body's hurting. They proved absolutely nothing. They, proved, they neither proved nor disproved their point. Because it was a matter of opinion. There is In this Bible, there is no schedule because every day you are scheduled to be in the presence of God. You are in the presence of God. Whatever you say, you say in the face of God. Whatever you whisper in your heart, you whisper in the presence of God. Whether I get to come through that door or whether I have to stay at work or whether I have to stay at home because I'm sick, I'm I'm not well, my body isn't doing what it's supposed to be, I am in the presence of God 24-7, 365 and fighting in front of people and and disagreeing in front of people is not proving nor disproving the point of whether you should be here or whether you shouldn't be here all you're doing is showing people that we are not united we are are not in love we are not in in, in communion with one another all that we can do is disagree and fight and, and scratch and argue in front of other people When if you disagreed with somebody, you should have said, you know what? If you want to talk about this later, I get off at 730. I'll meet you wherever you want to talk about it. But this isn't the place to talk about it. Meanwhile, lost people that I was sitting beside of just started shaking their head. And you know what I did the entire time? Right there. Right there. I kept my mouth shut. I kept my opinion to myself. Because I knew that the very second that I got wrapped up in it, I was going to be just like them. I was going to raise my voice and I was going to act stupid and act a fool in front of people that needed the God that I said that I had in my heart. The public arena is no place to discuss or argue differing opinions. The ones who live outside of my love view this as chaos and run away from it. The next thing, but I believe is equally as important, is to be love. Paul said that we are ambassadors of Christ, who was God in the flesh. You are ambassadors of Christ, and God said that I am love. So you are love. You are an ambassador of love. You are an ambassador of God. You are love itself, or at least we're supposed to be living like we are love itself. i put a start inside of this and put maybe, but I'm just going to go ahead and lay it on you. Because we are called to be love. We are not called to be judges. And I see that every day of my life. As we walk down the roads, as we walk into our places of work, we become judges and we do not become love. We do not walk in love. We do not talk in love. We do not act out of love. We become judges. You're not called to open your mouth and say, now listen, sister, so-and-so, you shouldn't have done that in, in front of these people. That was wrong of you. You're not called to be a judge. You're called to walk in love. You're called to be love. You're called to act in love. I don't care, I don't care what it is. If, and Well, it's already out there. Whether it's an alcoholic, whether it's a drug addict, whether it's a homosexual, I am not, am not, Called to judge them. That is not my calling. That is not my purpose. But the greatest commandments is to love Him with all that I am. And love everybody as I love myself. And I'm going to add one in there. And pray for them. Not Not to judge them. Not to cast shade on them. Not to cast hate on them. Not to say you're wrong and I'm right. If it is biblically correct or biblically incorrect. Don't say nothing. Just keep your mouth shut. Love them anyway. Love them with all of your heart. There's people out there that they have given up on their self. And they just need somebody to love them unconditionally as you were loved. Amen. Nothing else. You're not called to be a judge. God says love them with all that you can and I'll judge them later. And you know what? I realize that that's hard. That's hard to keep your mouth shut when you see people just bashing and abusing and, and doing wrong in their self and doing wrong and harm to their self. It's hard not to say, hey, listen, you got to stop. You can do that, but it has to be in love. It cannot be in judgment. It cannot be out of, the, out of, this, out of yourself. It has to be in the love of God for you to look at somebody and say, listen... I am worried about where your life is going. I am worried about what you're doing to yourself. Listen, I, I know, I know that, that you feel this way and you feel strongly about it. But if you ever want to talk about it, I, I'd like to sit down and talk to you about your life. But we're quick to get defensive and we're quick to rise up in the flesh and, and call wrong, wrong and, and, and black, black and white, white. When all we was ever called to do was to love people, You are called to walk and talk and act in love and out of love. Paul said that I speak in tongues of angels. And and, no, let me phrase that. He said, if I can speak in the tongues of angels and the tongues of men, if I have not love in my heart, I am nothing but a loud gong, a loud annoying noise, just a lot of sound coming out. Just a waste of time. If I can prophesy to mountains that they would be removed, but I have not love in my heart, I'm nothing. And I'm going to be honest with you, and if it hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. But we do a lot of things in hopes that we are perceived as good. We do a lot of things in our, in our lives to be perceived as an okay human being. But do we do them out of love? Do we act out of love? First Corinthians 13 says we can prophesy and speak to the mountains to be removed. But if we have not love, the amplified version says reaching out to others, we are nothing. Do we do things from the, out of the good of our heart or do we do them out of love? You pass through a valley of dry bones every day of your life in Wyoming County, in wherever you are, whatever. If this goes to somebody out of state or wherever, you pass through a valley of dry bones every day of your life, and you do things either out of good or out of love. And I am dying up here. Somebody needs to kill. that hate. I am roasting. Can you smell the sausage? Glory to God. We pass through a valley of dry bones, dead dry bones every day. And we choose to look over top of them. We choose to look past them. We choose to, 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 to close off our peripherals because we can only see what's in front of us. And we don't look to our feet or we don't look to the left or the right and see, see death and destruction and dry bones and, and, and the remains of those that are left murdered and slain beside of the road. We'll say things like they've done it to their self. We'll say things like they, nobody made them do dope for the first time. And we completely ignore the fact. We act like grace never had to wash anything off of us. We act like we never had an issue or we had a problem that God had to take care of and fix before we we started walking straight and narrow. We act like there was never anything in our lives that wasn't unpleasing to God. We act that we was always upstanding and upright citizens and, and members of the church. While there is people that are lost and dying, but we look over top of them. We look past them. We keep them out of our peripherals so we don't have to talk to them, so we don't have to speak to them. They chose it for their self. They did it to their self. I, I, we more or less say that we don't care. That's what happens. Amen. I've used this a dozen times, probably more than a dozen times. But if you was walking down the streets of Oceana and you've seen a house burning down. And you knew that somebody was asleep inside of the bed. Would you not try everything that you could do to get them out of the house? Or would you sit and watch it burn would you stand at the side of the street and watch a two-story house? That, imagine it this way because everybody knows where I'm talking about. If you were standing in front of at and and you looked across the street at that two-story home and you've seen it going up in flames, would you stand there in the parking lot or would you try to call 911? Or would you try to go into that house and pull out somebody before, they, before they're burnt up and dead? Meanwhile, the same exact thing is happening every day of your life that you walk through a valley of dry bones. You walk through a valley of death and desolation and you see that there's people dying but you keep your eyes on the prize because brother, there's greener pastures on past this valley. Meanwhile, there is people sleeping in their beds and their homes are burning down around them. And I am the world's worst for it. As I've heard it said many times, I've been beat up here, so I don't have any problem being beat up, beating you up. To quote a wise man who had a gnarly beard and long flowing Fabio hair. (laughs) If it's good enough to beat me up, it's good enough to beat you up. And I'll tell you of an instance that happened in my house just the other day. As everybody knows, everybody here probably knows where I live. I live in the midst of all of it. A gentleman came to my door. Christian was outside putting stuff back out in the building from Christmas. She comes in, she says, Brian, I'm not going to say his name, is out here I'm wanting to talk to you. Instantly I knew in my heart that it was going to be a sob story and do you have money to let me borrow till such and such day. I instantly had it preconceived in my mind that I was going to hear some long drawn out yarn about uh, about how hard life has been and I've I've blown my money on this or I've wasted my money on that. Could you help me out? So I threw my jacket on and I went on the porch. I want everybody to to get this visual. I stood on my porch and looked down at this person. My perception was me standing up here looking down at him. And as I stood and watched him and listened to what he said, he said, Brian, I know in the past few months I've caused a lot of commotion out here behind you. I know there's had to have been nights that I woke you up. There had to have been nights and days that I run you little boy and your wife out of bed. And then he started to get choked up. And here I am still up here on my little perch looking down at him. And he said, if there's anybody on this hillside that I owe an apology to, it's you. And I instantly come off the porch and I about hugged him there. And he went on to tell me, he said, my girlfriend left me and she took my truck. It is either his girlfriend or his wife. He said she took my truck and sold it and then she left. He said unbeknownst to me, uh, he, She'd been sleeping with somebody that I considered my friend and they never said a word to me till after she was lost. That's it, after she left. Said, Most nights I just sit over here and I contemplate whether, whether it's all worth it or not. Whether my life is worth all the aggravation and pain that I'm going through. And I want to remind you that this person, their daddy's a preacher. They was raised in church, had been in church. Just made a few bad decisions, and they are where they're at right now. And I just don't know if it's worth it, Brian. I don't know if it's worth all the aggravation, me staying alive just to have to deal with all this stuff. He said, preacher, if you don't care when you can think of it, pray for me. And I didn't make a conscious decision. I didn't wait till I got back in the house. I didn't wait till I went to bed that night. I didn't wait till I was by myself. Right there beside of the road in front of all the neighbors and from the side of the public. In front of everybody. I grabbed, I grabbed what, what society would have deemed unworthy, un, unbefitting, by the hand. And I began to pray and speak over his life. That he would that he would live life abundantly, that he would come back to the calling that he once knew, that his finances would be back in order someday, that his life would be restored, that he was his vigor and his his joy would be brought back to him. I don't know if it happened in that moment. It probably didn't. But the thing about it is what I realized in that moment, while I was perched up here on top of my porch and I looked down on him, while, I, while my perception was looking down on him. God was reminding me, hey listen, you was unworthy, you was unrighteous, you was uncalled, you was unkept, you was dirty, you was filthy, you lived as a leper. And meanwhile, I never put you off. I never put you behind me. I always found myself ground level with you where you needed me, when you needed me. We often forget that everybody has come from somewhere. We often forget that we was once the person standing by the road while the man of God stood perched up on his porch. No matter what we've done, no matter what sin that we had in our lives, He never put us on the back burner. He always found himself. Easily accessed, easily to where we could get a hold of him, easily where we could where we could whisper into his ear that we needed him more than our next breath, that we needed him to touch our lives, that we needed him to to, to bless us one more time. We often forget about that when we're talking to these people, when we're ignoring these people, when these people come up to us and, and, and we we brush them off. We kick them off of our shoulder. We kick the dust off of our shoes and we walk on. We often forget that we was also delivered of something. It may have not been drug addiction. It may not have been alcoholism. It may not have been addiction to pornography. It may not have been uh, uh, the needle. It may not have been a crackpot that we was delivered from. But my God, we was delivered from something. And we have to remember that every time that somebody comes in our presence and they're seeking help, they're seeking the God that you claim to have down deep in your heart. Everybody is looking for something. Everybody is looking for fulfillment. Are you gonna be the one that passes them by and, and, and neglects them and watches them dry watches them dry bones, them dead bodies just begin to decay and, and suffer a little bit more every day? So do you do do things to be perceived as good or do you do things out of love? Do you act in love? Do you talk in love? Do you walk in love? Or do you just do things because that's the right thing to do? I can easily right now go into my closet and pull out five jackets and give them to people that walk the streets of Oceania every single day and be perceived as good. Or I can show them warmth, I can show them love, I can show them mercy, I can show them the love of God that is supposed to be living down deep on the inside of me and warm them up way better than any jacket that I've got in my closet. Way better than any jacket that hangs on the racks at Walmart. I can easily go to McDonald's and buy 20 double cheeseburgers and pass them out to people who's walking around on the streets wondering, hoping that somebody would notice them. Hoping that somebody would see their lights about to go out. Hoping that somebody would see the dead body that's decaying before them. I could easily give them a cheeseburger and tell them that Jesus loves them. Or I could get down in their ear and I could whisper those things that God thinks of them. I could easily look at them and say, you know what? You are loved and you are enough. Whatever it is that you've done in your life. Whatever it is that that the enemy has told you is a lie. You are beloved. You are a son or a daughter. You are loved. You are enough. I could easily say that to somebody and walk in love and talk in love. Or I could do something that is perceived as good. But if we do everything in this world and we don't do it out of love, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of effort because you've changed nothing about the community that you live in. You've changed nothing in the lives of people that are around you that are dying, that are lost, that their bodies are decaying out from under them. If we do it out of anything else other than love, it is a waste of time. Down the street, how many times have you drove in your vehicle and passed somebody who's walking by the street and uttered these words? That's pitiful, that's awful, that's a shame. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. We call them junkies, we call them flunkies, dope addicts, drug addicts, potheads, alcoholics, drunkards, drunks but never take the time to call them by the name that they were given by God Himself, son or daughter. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of man and a lot of nerve to walk up to somebody who is, who is, the, uh, is the epitome of, of what the community has said is worthless, is, is a waste of time, is a waste of energy, isn't worth the, the buckshot it would take to blow their brains out. How many people said that? Instead of calling them by name. Instead of saying son or beloved daughter. But it's a lot easier to call them flunkies and dropouts. And waste the space. And, 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 and not worthy of the buckshot that it would take to blow their brains out. It's a lot easier to say that because everybody else is doing it. because somebody... Because I'm going to tell you something. That person is somebody's daughter. That person is somebody's son. That's somebody's daddy. That's somebody's mommy. That's somebody's sister or somebody's brother. And they're called that every day of their life. What would happen if one day somebody came up to them and said, You are beloved. You're enough. You are the very apple of God's eye. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to love people unconditionally when when they're deemed unworthy by society. But my God, in the eyes of God, you too was unworthy. You too was deemed unnecessary. You too was deemed a waste of space. Not worth enough the buckshot to blow your brains out. You was nasty. You was dirty. You was defiled. But meanwhile, you wasn't even worth it. He called you beloved. He called you work. He gave you purpose. He gave you, he, he gave you life. He spared you life. He spared you mercy. When you wasn't worth it. Oh
1: God. The
0: valley represents the community in dry desolate space filled with dry dead bones and despair and hopelessness god showed me the valley and he showed me that it was the community that we live in that's filled with dead dry bones how many people you don't know, this is a rhetorical question you don't have to answer it out loud how many people have said, if things don't turn around in Oceania, if things don't turn around in Pineville, it's going to look just like Welch. I'm guilty of it. If things don't pick up, Oceania's is going to be a ghost town. You tell me that a dry, dead valley doesn't describe Oceana. Oceania. You tell me that a dry, dead area doesn't describe Wyoming County. And we look around and we see despair and hopelessness and we we choose it. We accept it as the norm. My Bible reads that anything that I would ask in faith and believe would come to pass. My Bible says that wherever two or three would lay their hands and agree upon one thing, that it would be done in my name. And if the Bible is the undeniable truth and word of God, and His promises are yes and amen, are we really praying for our community? If I had a microphone, I would have just dropped it. Because if the Bible says that, that we can speak those things as though, as though they are that aren't right now, if the Bible says that I can go to God and ask anything and faith believe it. If my Bible says that any two people can get together and agree on one thing, it would, be, it would come to pass. Am I really praying for my community? Am I really praying for the drug addict that walks up and down the street? Am I really praying for there to be jobs again? Am I really praying for there to be life and life more abundantly in Wyoming County? Am I praying and believing that things will soon get better? And if that, if that valley represents the town of Oceana, Wyoming County, West Virginia, the United States of America, or the world as we know it, then the people that is in that valley are the broken bonds. The dead, broken, dry bonds. Broken people that we look past every single day because we see that There's a green valley on out through there. If we just keep walking, we'll get to that green valley. That, uh, As I've heard it said many times, that's some glad morning religion. That there's a a green pasture waiting on us. Just so long as we can make it. If we can tread with them dry bones and not get any of it on us, we can get over there to the green pasture. Meanwhile, we're leaving dead bodies and dried up decayed corpses in our wake. as Ezekiel was took into the spirit into a valley of dry bones, God asked him, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel said, Lord, you know. And he said, Ezekiel prophesied over these bones that they would be made whole again and that they would live again and they would be restored and I myself would bring life back into them and they would know that I am the Lord God. As you stand in a valley that is dead and desolate and full, of, and full of destruction, do you look over top of it and see that there's a green valley? Or do you look around you and say that this valley will live again, that this valley will thrive again, that there will be a river flow through this valley again that will bring life and vitality to dead, dried up things? to dead dried up trees, to dead dried up bones, that water would flow again through this valley? Do you look over a valley of dry bones and say that they will live again? That God Almighty Himself will begin to breathe life back into these dry bones? Or will you continue to just look over top of that valley and see your own green pasture coming? It's a lot easier to just accept things as they are. But it takes a walk in love and it takes a faith that's unshakable to begin to look over Wyoming County. To begin to look over Oceania and say that it'll thrive again. It takes a lot of nerve and it takes a lot of man to say, that drug addict is somebody's son or daughter. They will live again, they will thrive again. I believe to my soul that this is the word of 2019 from God himself because I sat with my head covered up and all that I could see was my notebook. I couldn't see the walls around me. I couldn't see the uh, the pictures on the walls. I couldn't see the TV. I couldn't see the floor. All that I could see was that notebook in my hand going right across it. I needed to be blindfolded. I needed to have blinders on. To let God do whatever it is that He wanted to do. Whatever it is that He wanted to say. The word of 2019 is to look over a dry, desolate area and say it will thrive again. Because thus saith God that a river would come through the valley again. Thus saith the Lord. There is dead and, and, and dried up bones in these valleys. But my God, I believe that they'll live again. I believe that through you they will find purpose. They will find vitality again. Everybody here is affected by at least one person in their family or in their lives who we've claimed to be one of the least of these. Will you be love in their life? in a community of people that has neglected them and walked past them and stepped over top of them, will you be love in their life? Will you be the reflection of Almighty God in their eyes? I've said it a million times and I believe it's more true today than it was yesterday. Some of us are the only church that people go to. Some of us are the only God that they've ever seen in their life. And what do we decide to do with it? We walk right over top of them. We watch them go out into the rest of their life while their house is burning down. And we decide not to kick the door in and take, take that life on the outside. Will you be love in somebody's life? Will you be God in somebody's life? I'm not saying that I'm God, but I am the representation just as you are. A representation a, a, and an ambassador of Christ. Will you be love in somebody's life? Will you look over a valley and say that it'll live again? Will you look over a pile of dried up bones and say it'll be restored and it'll be brought back to fruition again? Because that's the problem. There's an entire community of people that nobody's telling them they're worth it. Nobody's telling them that they're loved. Nobody's telling them that they're a son or they're a daughter. They're a lackey. They're a flunky. They're a drug addict. Will you be love in somebody's life? Will you be the reflection of Almighty God in somebody's life? Or will you continue to walk through a valley and only see your green pasture on the other side of it? I believe in my heart of hearts and I've had this twisted for all of my life up until probably about two years ago, maybe a year ago. That life is a test. And all that we're doing is going to a destination. We're trying to survive the test to get to the other side. When the other side is a given, and everything that we do in this life is what matters. Every word that's spoken to somebody is what matters. Not our destination, because our destination is a given. You're called to love others. You're called to to, to be love in somebody's life. But we are so wrapped up in the destination that we forget the valley. We forget those that we're supposed to affect every day. We We forget that we're called with purpose to love others as we loved ourselves and to love God with everything that we have and everything that we do. So the choice is yours. Will you continue to just walk that straight path through the valley to see the doorway open on the other side? Or will you begin to look around you and speak over things? And I'm not one to to, to be a follower of naming and claiming messages. But I do believe that there is an authority in your heart, in your mind, in your being. Because God himself has authority. I believe there's an authority there in your voice to begin to prophesy over a generation, to begin to prophesy over an area, over a community, over a town. I believe there's an authority there. But if all the things in the Bible, if they're true, if we believe that they're true, are we really praying about anything? Are we really being a light in a dead, dark valley? God, is there anything else? God, I thank you, Lord, and I praise you in this place. God, I apologize. Because I know that word was just as much for me as it was anybody else. I'm just as guilty as everybody else, Lord. I'm guilty of neglect, God. God, I'm guilty, Lord, of a high perspective of myself. God, I'm guilty of doing things for the sake of doing good. God, I thank you, Lord, and I praise you, Lord, for your mercy, God, that you've showed us this morning, God. God, I thank you, Lord, and I honor you for your presence in my life, God, in this room today, God. God, I ask that every, every being that's under the sound of my voice, God, whether it be here in person or over that podcast, I pray that their hearts and minds are open this morning, Lord. Now, we we come to know the error of our ways, Lord. Lord God, that we are called to be loved in somebody's life. God, I thank you, Lord, and I honor you, God. God, I thank you, Lord, for prosperity in Wyoming County, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for for families that that have went without, Lord. That find jobs, Lord, where they couldn't find a job before, Lord. I thank you, God, for abundance, God, in life that is about to come into Longman County, Lord. Because of a people, God, that has took it upon themselves, Lord, to look over a dry and desolate valley, God, and begin to assist, God, over over everything, every being, every life form, every business, God, that is shut down, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, for the least of these, God. I thank you, Lord, for people recognizing their purpose, God. I thank you, Lord, for the least of these, God, that are realizing that they are loved, God. I thank you for the least of these, God, that has been left and neglected realizing, Lord, that they belong to you, God, and that they are the beloved apple of your eye. God, I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room today, God. God, I honor you, Lord, in every way that I can, Lord. I know that I let you down a lot. But, God, I'm still learning. God, I thank you, Lord, and I praise you, Lord, for your presence in this room. Lord, God, that presence, Lord, that's opening up minds and opening opening up hearts this morning, Lord. Because we've all done it, Lord. There's not one of us in this room right now that can say with a clear conscience that we ain't done it. That we haven't neglected somebody. That we haven't walked past dry bones. God, has that you please just help us walk in love, Lord. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you this morning. God, I thank you for this revelation, Lord. God, I just pray for. I just pray for strength, Lord, to carry it out. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you today, Lord. God, I honor you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy Podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is Tithe.ly, dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.